And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me on this very special episode of the podcast. Today, I have a specialist in design thinking, uh, specifically food design thinking. Her name is Francesca Zimpolo. I found her on YouTube, uh, though she she's we figured out in this that YouTube isn't her main thing. It's just one of the assets she's using to connect with people. And she ended up connecting with me because I'm an avid YouTuber. And today we're going to talk about design thinking and specifically her focus on food design thinking, what it is, and kind of how creatives and entrepreneurs should think about design thinking when turning out a work or a product or a service or what have you. Uh, and so I'm going to leave it to her to explain everything because she is the specialist. So let's start this thing off. Thanks. You hear me? Yeah. Yeah, you sound great. Okay. Nice to meet you. Likewise. <laughs> I've been uh, watching your YouTube videos and looking at your website. I think we could have an interesting conversation. Um, awesome. I try, to, I try to think outside the box about what I can what I can present to my listeners because they're mostly artists who are looking to sort of unlock themselves from the thinking that some of them, you know, maybe they went to film school, maybe they went to art school, maybe they did a writing program, and they're kind of locked in this this boxed way of thinking about the world. And what I've found through some of the feedback that I've received from some of the listeners over the past year is that having guests on from all kinds of areas have helped them sort of think outside the box a little bit more. And so that's, that's sort of where I'm at and, and where that invitation to you is rooted. Sounds good. Great. Sounds perfect. Sounds exactly like what I do for a living, basically helping people to think outside the box. <laughs> it's so uh, important. One quick note. I mean, it's essential. Um, this is not live, right? It's recorded it's and then re- you add yeah. it. I edit everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. So if there's something no, so you this don't g- want on, let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take them back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll okay, honor. Perfect. I'll honor it if you tell me. Occasionally, you'll see this. It's my logo. 
Uh-huh. And or my thing will just shut off. It's because I'm resetting my external camera. And I no have problem. to I have to kind of get up to do it. And I'll try to do it while you're talking so that um there's less <laughs> editing needed. No problem. No problem. Cool. So what time is it where you are? Uh almost five PM. Okay, that's not so bad. No, it's good. It's perfect. <laughs> I almost woke up now, so <laughs> no, I mean, I woke up early, like my brain, this is the, the creative uh, z- uh, slot of time for my brain from 5 p.m. to 8 is where my brain is at its best. Kind of weird, I know. Oh, that's interesting because <laughs> I'm usually 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. Uh-huh. <laughs> See? And I'm one of those people who actually like to wake up early. I prefer to wake up early and go to bed early, but the morning mornings are for body and spirit usually. Mind like, starts working late, way later. Are you more? When are you the most creative? Uh, definitely. Uh, if yes, so f- mind type of creativity for sure. Yes, after five p.m., it's like those moments where. Let's say, for example, that I've been trying to write something all day, something that I've been experiencing for weeks now, with these things that I have to write. I can say in front of my laptop all day, but then if, if the things start to just come, this is the time when they, when they come, and just ha- I just have to be there and type. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you're the first evening creative I've met. Evening. <laughs> Everybody's a morning person. <laughs> right? That's what I thought of myself as well. But then, then because of this pleasure that I get in, 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 in being awake when it's early and the energy in the, of the morning. But so like meditation, morning, absolutely. I can't meditate in the afternoon. I couldn't. Like my mind has started, you know, to, to work too much. Exercise. I can only do it in the morning, then my body falls asleep. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, for writing type of creativity or collaborative working, etc. Hmm. So do you have a, um, do you have a daily routine? No, I try to. I, I have tried many <laughs> times to make myself a schedule using Google and uh, bullet points and all sorts of things uh, but uh, my body and mind just and, and just life events uh, and these sudden emails with things that you have to do immediately uh, take over all the time so I don't have a routine I wish I did but I'm not good at all with routines oh, yeah, I was just asking because I recently had this um, this doctor on who he hasn't he hasn't aired yet but um, he'll air before yours and he he talks about the importance of routine with entrepreneurs mm. and creatives and mm. whatnot. Mm. I don't have. Yeah, lately. <laughs> yeah, lately I've I've actually um, taken this class. Uh, I don't remember the lecturer, of course, but the point was that instead of having you know a list of things that you want to achieve, a list of things that you have to do. What is more useful is to uh, set yourself at the, in the morning, like blocks of activities, like from, from I don't know, uh, 9 to 11, I want to work on this and try and finish this. 
So, so you don't have, so it doesn't become about checking off things of your to-do list anymore, which you never will, you never complete. I've never completed a to-do list in my life. Actually, they keep getting longer and longer. But you get to the end of the two hours and you can ask yourself, was I able to uh, said what I w- do what I said I was going to do? Was I able to just commit and be in front of my laptop or whatever and do the thing that I said I was uh, supposed to do? So in that sense, it's a schedule, but I think it, it can become more... Um, flexible to daily activities so it's like for me it makes sense it makes sense to set the schedule in the morning of the same day and n- not with much more advanced than that can, we, can you talk a little bit about design thinking in general and yeah. um what i can do is for anybody who who wants to learn more i will put links in the description if you want to give me links i have some links that are already stockpiled for this subject um, feel free to send them to me and I'll just put everything in the description so people can have a discourse about it. But I think we should start with design thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good place to start. So this is the way I think of food design, of design thinking, sorry. Uh, this is the way I have come to perceive it. And so the story that I'm about to tell you about design thinking is, of course, what my eyes see and what they have been seeing. So imagine the... Also, also before I do that, I could say that my background uh, in the world of design is initially industrial design. So we can define my overall uh, background more related to product design. Uh, and then, you know, now because of food, it's become service design, events design, uh, etc. Uh, so because your audience is so vast, maybe I should say that my background is not related to arts or filmmaking or graphic necessarily. But uh, when I I envision the world of design, it is most related to product design, uh, industrial design, service design, events design, experience design, UX design, etc. But conscious of the fact that the word design does apply to the full spectrum of create creative people that you uh, reach. So imagine that um, up until, I guess, 50 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, unfortunately still today though, when people thought of designers uh, and particularly say product designers, or actually say when people thought of designers, they would think about a product designer and the product designer that they would envision is this guy with sitting down at a desk with a pen and a notepad, making beautiful sketches of, say, the outline of a car or something like that, or, you know, a beautiful chair. And that was the designer and that was design. Yeah. I'm making the story very, quite broad in general. Okay? No, I appreciate but, it. <laughs> uh, that, that was design. The, the designer, this guy here, uh, at the time was not even trained as a designer because, I don't know, 50, 50 40 years ago, there wasn't any um, training for designers. They would be either architects or artists, etc., or drawers of some type. So the designer would, of, of course, uh, then collaborate with engineers and uh, uh, manufacturing uh, people of 
of the work in any aspect of manufacturing, etc. But that was design, basically. 50 years ago, that was design. A guy sitting on a, at a table sketching stuff. Um, then, slowly but surely, the world of making stuff for people as a portion of design, right? started realizing that it was very useful to consider the user for whom we are designing. <laughs> that, that would help. So they said, <laughs> right? So they started thinking, hmm, maybe we should include what people need, think, and feel into our creative process. So those were the first initial sparks, really, of, uh, of design thinking. Uh, but they, they, um, these initial thoughts, um, created what we now generally, what we have been known for the past 20, 30 years as user-centered design as the most general term. From user-centered design, from these uh, uh, now very uh, strong emphasis of the designer as a collaborator with users, uh, as somebody who takes into account what the users wants and needs, uh, from this mm -hmm. relationship, um, design thinking was born. So design thinking as a basis is a creative process. It's really a creative process that is just very structured, a very structured creative process, a structure in the sense that it gives you uh, uh, options in the ways, in the type of activities to do throughout the process. Uh, and when we talk about a design process or a creative process, generally we think about starting a starting point that can be a brief like a, a client who gives you a brief like design a dining table for me or something uh or you can have the first the beginning of the process being i want to design something but i don't even know what it is and about what okay so the the, the beginning point already can be a lot of things and then the end point can be your product on the shelves or your service opening its doors or the moving being shown in the shown in the premiere or whatever. So the right. creative process is that all of that. And design thinking is that creative process. What design thinking has brought though, is this um, multitude of design methods, of design thinking methods that would give designers options uh, for the various activities to do. Uh, all of these with this user-centeredness as a as one of the uh, underlying principles of, or underlines approaches or philosophies, okay? The user is at the center. Uh, and so the very first, the a big first portion of the design thinking process is all about learning what the user wants and needs and thinks and feels so that the designer, or at this point really designers, plural, design is not what was 50 years ago with one guy and a pen. Now it's usually a design team. So the designers could create a keyword here, empathy with users. Because we have realized that when... Yeah, was, you were about to I, say something. I was about to say it sounds like an, an infusion of empathy. I was about to use that exactly. word. Oh, yes, that's so exactly. perfect. Yeah. Yes, It's the keyword in design thinking, really. Because we realize that we are better designers, we are better at proposing stuff to people, whatever the stuff is, a product, a service, an event, or whatever, 
when we ourselves understand quite deeply what our target user needs, thinks, feels, etc. So design thinking, um, the 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 two words were put together by a few design theorists uh, up to uh, um, sorry um, about twenty years ago now, but the group that made it really flourish and become what it is today, very well known, was actually is actually a design firm, very famous design firm called Ideo, based in Silicon Valley, and so they have really uh, worked on creating this of making of design thinking a uh, process with various options, methods to use in the different steps of the process, uh, more than a philosophy or a design approach. After that, design thinking was embraced by the whole world because of course it made a lot of sense. And now it has quite beautifully and rightfully uh, expanded beyond the, the commonly known world of design. Now design thinking is so effective uh, be, uh, um, to be used by lawyers, uh, policy makers, teachers designing their curriculum. You use design thinking and therefore you use a design approach whenever you have a problem to solve or a space without necessarily problems, which is a word that we are trying to get away from, or a space in which you want to bring some type of improvement, a, cu a curriculum uh, for your class, for example. That's design thinking the way I see it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a perfect like breakdown uh, of what it is. And immediately I'm thinking about uh, like how, how it's used, because it's certainly used by creatives in every industry, um, from the film industry, test, testing things with audiences and retooling it based on the audience feedback or even what I remember I moved to New York right after 9-11 and the amount of design thinking that went into rebuilding that whole area down in lower Manhattan um, mm -hmm. when they first built the twin towers of the World Trade Center they didn't give a shit what anybody thought sorry I curse on this podcast it lowers my <laughs> ratings but I am what I am um, <laughs> they just built them and said here deal with it when, the, when they rebuilt it, I mean, the, the level of input from the public, how, how the public can best benefit from whatever it is they put there, uh, that's what I'm thinking of when you're describing design thinking. I'm thinking about everything, every industrial sector is doing now just seems to em embrace this idea of empathy. Like, okay, how, how is everybody else going to benefit from it? What do they need from it? What's the point of all this? And yet, a ridiculous amount of crap, to lower your rating even more, is still produced every day. Uh, it's still a, a ridiculous, and I, and I use purposefully the word ridiculous, amount of irrelevant, uh, unsustainable economically uh, and socially uh, amount of products and services, uh, meaningless amount of products and service, services are produced and presented every day all over the world. So we are doing better and better things with uh, tools or you know processes such as design thinking. Um, nonetheless, we are still seeing such a heartbreaking amount of thoughtlessness 
yeah. uh, in design. Uh, I mean, if I can, an example that comes to mind, that just popped into my awareness, and I tend to uh, acknowledge them, uh, something that I was talking a while back in one of my talks, uh, because it just happened, the recent bracelet from Amazon designed for the workers. Have you, have you read about it? No. So apparently Amazon has uh, designed and, uh, um, and the, what's the word? Um, ah, it escapes me, sorry. They have designed a bracelet for workers that all workers in their facilities ha are to uh, wear that vibrates, that first of all, uh, um, tracks their location and their rhythms throughout the day and vibrates when they have to, when um, Amazon people want to give them some type of information. So they track for how long you are at, the, at uh, stay at the bathroom, uh, how much you're moving your hands or you're still. So if you're still, there's something that, you know, some type of uh, uh, um, activity that you're not doing. So that to me is the perfect example of complete lack of empathy. But to me, it's just complete lack of humanity. Because I, I come from a design perspective, right? What I do with my, in my work life is to advise people on how to uh, come up with ideas that are that make sense to people, that are meaningful for people. And I cannot imagine a bunch of designers sitting down at the table and say, hey, this is a great idea. I would love to wear something like that to work. Empathy. I cannot imagine that happening. So. Yeah, well, I, I get the impression that they're not really interested in people. They're interested in <laughs> automating their entire system. And until they can automate, they're just going to try to automate people as much as possible. I mean, they are, they are what they are. I, I don't know how long that they're going to be able to last, you know, operating mm -hmm. that way. But mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. that that that's definitely like an organization, though. That um, you know, we benefit a lot as consumers, but as a society, I think they do more damage than good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, they have really leveraged a lot on the first two, um, how can I call them, principles, not really, the first two, let's say, triggers that design has always tried to respond to, thinking that they are the two most, in, most pressing needs for human beings. Uh, something to be economically cheap and convenient, quick to get, you know, so cheap and fast, cheap and fast. And unfortunately, a lot of design, a lot of designing has been done responding to those two needs. And, but actually always taking for granted that those are the things that people want us to give them, something that is cheap and fast, cheap and convenient. Um, and, and, and Amazon is an example of a company who has been really pushing on that. I think, my thinking right now is that this type of design, and this is actually something quite crucial for me, not, not, not only for design as a discipline, but for society and the responsibility and the role of designers in society. I think that it's quite possible that uh, um, responding to cheap and convenient, cheap and convenient, was uh, a consequence of not applying design thinking, something like design thinking. 
of not applying re real empathy, of seeing what problem do you have, person? I have this problem. I need that thing and I need it cheap and convenient. <laughs> Here it is. And this is how uh, still a lot of design is done, right? They find a problem uh, because if you ask human beings anywhere in the world now, what are your problems? They're going to tell you, I am working every day for food and shelter. And so I need uh, things around me to be cheap and convenient, right? But this is a very uh, top level um, uh, uh, superficial type of question and interaction you can have with users. So on the other hand, no, and the, the consequence of this, I think that it's that designers have actually, we have actually trained people to become more and more lazy. We have trained people to want to pursue more and more cheap and convenient. And, uh, and this is part of what I think is hugely important for designers now to realize and for future designers to think about the responsibility of the designer. When we design something, when we put something out into the world, we are contributing to the dynamics of society. We are contributing, we are educating people. A chair or a new restaurant or whatever it is, or a new movie is interacting with my persona, with my psyche, with my uh, soul. And there is some type of education that happens there most of the time subconsciously, of course. So here is the responsibility of the designer. And mm, so many designers and, or companies that don't even have a design department are completely oblivious of that and ignoring that. So more than ever, well, we should have always done this, but at least now we should really start considering the importance of designing stuff that is meaningful, of designing stuff that is really useful, of really using empathy to understand what people want and need. Uh, so that we start educating people towards better choices. And what we mean by better choices are, you know, any of the three sustainable uh, sustainability aspects, better for the environment, better for their pockets, of course, but better for society. And the point of sustainability and working for sustainability is to do all three, those three together. It's for every product and every service and every proposition that we give to respond to all three of these. Because right now, many companies are focusing on um, economic sustainability only, on designing products, putting out their products that are going to have a, uh, that are going to create wealth for them. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, as you're talking about that, I, I'm thinking in, about this, the simple act of creating architectural design for when you talk about the betterment of society and whatnot, years ago, buildings in New York, you know, they would just cast shadows on people or they would design like train stations to be purely utilitarian. And they, they, they only started thinking about, well, maybe if we cast shadow, uh, cast, have buildings that actually reflect sunlight into the shadowed areas. And then that brings up people's levels of happiness. And then rather than having a train station that makes you feel like a rat coming into work, 
have a train station that makes you feel like a king arriving to a palace, you know? Um, and, and, and it's the, this, that, that to me is what comes to mind as you're talking about this. Um, cause I'm really a New York centric, uh, creator and I, and I see this stuff happening all the time, this negotiation between useful, affordable, though nothing here is affordable and improving people's lives. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And every every facet of life here, I see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So you you have this channel, which which is about design thinking, but it's specifically for food. So can you talk to me about the background of this channel and uh, how one how why did you decide to make a YouTube channel about it and 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 sort of. I don't know, just connect all the pieces for me because I love people's backstories, especially entrepreneurs. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a good story. That's a good answer. I hope I won't make it too long. Um, well, it's a good question. We'll see about the answer. Uh, <laughs> I hope I won't make the answer too long. So everything started <laughs> 17 years ago or something. Uh, but truly, it did start when I was, I think, in my second year of BA, during my BA, and, and my BA was in industrial design. And I like to tell this part because it's quite crucial for me. Uh, I was uh, studying at the Polytechnic of Turin, you know, where Fiat, the car brand, uh, operates. So even though we were doing industrial design, they we had a quite a in, an approach that led more toward engineering, engineering than design, let's say. So we were designing washing machines and air conditioning appliances uh, and, you know, uh, blenders and stuff like that. Uh, In between semester, I think it was the second year, we had a um, workshop to choose from, a a few workshops to choose from. uh, And I just chose the one with the least boring name. (laughs) That was my reasoning. Uh, The first day of that workshop, a chef came in. And he was dressed like a chef. He had, he, he had his uh, chef shirt. And he started talking about food design and designing food and designing with the food material, designing edible stuff. My mind exploding and my life was going straight and immediately it took a 90 degrees turn and it was done. Food design became really my life and my, so the source of my interest. Because I was amazed to realize that I can design things that are eaten by people that go inside people's body. And then with years, uh, this uh, fascination with designing stuff that disappears. You know, architects design stuff that can stay there for centuries. Uh, Product designers, you know, decades Food designers or the food designers who design the with with the edible material, they design stuff that disappears literally and that can last minutes sometimes. Uh, so that became very fascinating fascinating for me. Uh, into my MA straight, I went into trying to study something or or an MA product that gave me the opportunity to study that. At the time, there weren't many. There weren't any. Uh, and then my PhD as well, uh, I just didn't know what to do. Studying was the only thing that I could think of. So I went into a PhD and um, my interest in theory and more of the experiential aspect of designing uh, 
found space. And so I don't design, I'm not a designer myself. I don't design stuff, but I study and research and talk about and share and teach uh, the, pro- the, creati- the creative process. But so my interest became in helping people, helping food designers uh, realize that and design for the fact that what they design disappears. So we don't really design the product itself, but we design for memories. That became interesting to me. How do you design for memories? How do you design something that becomes memorable? How do you avoid to design stuff that is forgotten by people immediately after it's eaten? So uh, long story short, in the process of doing all of these, uh, I I think everything started when, uh, because I was in the world of academia, I was doing my PhD and uh, uh, this was still um, 10 years ago. And I would look around and still I would see, you could Google food design and you would find, and you would be very confused afterwards. You still are today probably, but maybe a bit less. Um, and then, so I would be frustrated because I saw no academia, academic journal on food design. So if you want to study food design, where do you start from? Uh, there was not really, no real education on food design. There were no uh, conferences on food design. And so until somebody told me, why don't you do it? And I thought, wow, me? Why don't I do it? And so I founded then the International Food Design Society. From there, I organized the first, second, and third international academic conference on food society. So this group of people, of researchers from all around the world who say, yes, I want to label my research as food design too, because I can only label it as uh, food science or gastronomy or product design, but I work with food, etc. We could only come together and do things. And then I founded the International Journal of Food Design, which was the first academic journal of food design. So I guess that to answer your question, throughout this journey that, and then of course I started public speaking a lot about food design, and throughout this journey, the this community was uh, find I was finding itself, but I was perceiving the interest, the int no a thirst, a thirst in people to to have resources uh, from. All the people who kind of were interested in food design, they thought that maybe it could be their own field. And there was this third, where do I start from? How do I learn what the, all of this is? Uh, uh, YouTube was uh, an available answer to me. So I started it uh, with the intention of sharing f- bits and pieces of my thinking process and possible answers. And with time, um, webinars came so I could invite other people to say what they do within food design etc and so yeah that probably answers your question in a very long way yeah well the longer the better the less i have to talk the better <laughs> so do you are you streaming live for the most part when i do webinars yes yeah. uh, for the other videos no i don't have the courage to do anything live yet <laughs> Oh, well, I find I find it okay because so I don't. It feels like I don't have to prepare as much as I would prepare for something recorded. It should yeah, be the opposite, yeah. probably. <laughs> it is weirdly easier to like have a conversation with someone live. Well, like, we're not live, but we're alive, versus doing <laughs> something prepared where I'm just like talking to the camera. 
Um, but, you know, you, 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 you mentioned this idea of designing memorable food. And I don't know if I've, if I have had any food that in and of itself was so memorable that it stuck with me. Like I remember being with people for certain meals or going to a certain place. I remember my first breakfast in New York, that sort of thing, because it was my first breakfast in New York. I don't remember what I had. Like, so how do you create memorable food? Because I think a lot of people would love to explore that. That is the one million trillion dollars <laughs> question. What I can say is that I don't know how you do it, but I can guide you on how to try and do it. <laughs> okay. This to say, whatever creative process you end up using, you never have certainty that it's going to work, but it's going to help you to give it your best shot. So the, the answer would be very long and it would entail... Uh, um, what I ended up calling food design thinking for me. So a creative process that is specific to food. And in my case, it's a set of, for now, 52 different methods that you can pick and choose uh, when you are designing something related to food or the act of eating. It can be a dish, a product, an event, a service, uh, and, and uh, intervening in the food system, etc. Um but so so something like food design thinking um, is and the methods within it are going to give you uh, thinking points and triggers throughout the creative process, you know, from the very beginning to coming up with ideas, doing your research, coming up with ideas, prototyping, developing, etc. To always make you um, choose if you want to. Um, to steer your project towards, for me, it became about environmental and social sustainability and towards designing for meaning, designing stuff that matters to people. A big part has to do with empathy. So how do I design something that is potentially going to be meaningful to people? A big part of it is empathizing with people. But then a big part is also proposing to people um, propositions, and I would use the word proposition so I don't have to say product, event, service, movie, or whatever it is, to offer people propositions that that have value, basically, that that really mean something, whether it triggers their connection to animal ethics or their connection to... um, uh, outer space life or their connection to love for their grandparents whatever it is we can try and design for that what is interesting though is that this is the question that you asked me is exactly the question that i got obsessed with and that i wanted to try and answer so this was still during my phd i started this and i actually uh, short after I realized that I kept thinking about designing for meanings, design meaningful food, but I also realized that it's very difficult to define what meaningful food is because there are as many definitions as there are people. What is meaningful for people? What is meaningful for me is not meaningful to, to you and vice versa, and we are, I don't know how many billion of people right now. So how do we design for people? Because usually we don't design for one person only. Usually, usually we make 
propositions for a whole bunch of people. Sometimes we try and design stuff for the entire world that can be debatable also so on the efficacy of that. Um, so how do we do that? So in order to investigate the, uh, con the, the topic of meaningful food, I started a project that I called In Search of Meaningful Food, where I would ask people to tell me the story of their most, of their most meaningful food, not their favorite food, but their most meaningful food. I ended up collecting, I think by now, 130 stories. Most of them are uh, recorded, are a video where they tell the story. And um, they are all in a website. And many stories are actually in my YouTube channel if you just search in search for, uh, in search for meaningful food. Um, and the findings, even though preliminary, because I don't think I'll ever be able to say I have the I can say what meaningful food is I, I don't think I'll be able to say that ever uh, but preliminary findings show that first of all there's a benefit big difference between meaningful uh, food and your favorite food my favorite food is pizza but it's not my meaning my most meaningful food um, I have the story for example that I can tell you of somebody's meaningful food that was the food that they hated the most. But it was meaningful, and this is the key to what meaningful food is, because of the memory that is attached to it. Mm. So food becomes meaningful rarely because of the flavor itself, rarely because of the shape, color, texture, and whatnot, rarely because of where you are, rarely because of the people you're with, but always, as to say that that's whatever the case is, it's always related to a specific point in time, a specific one moment that made that food so memorable. And it can be memorable for positive reason, because it's connected to positive emotion or memorable because it's connected to negative emotion. Uh, any, regardless, it becomes meaningful. It's infused with layers and layers of meanings, and therefore it becomes memorable. So that's a challenge for you to think about what your most meaningful food is. <laughs> I will, and I'll, I'll update you if I figure it out. It didn't yeah. occur to me that it could also be a negative, because when I think of memorable, mm -hmm. I think of good. But you're mm -hmm. right, memorable could also be... Wow, this this that I remember that time it, it sucked, and I re, I'll remember it forever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not my most meaningful food, but in, just to give you an idea of memorable, um, it was one of my first experiences in a one star Michelin. Ma, sorry, a one Michelin star restaurant. I was excited, of course, very in, very much into it. But they sat me at the table close to a gentleman. Uh, who was was who was how can I put this? <laughs> whose uh, body odor was quite um, important that day. So I mean, the poor gentleman. You know, we all sweat. Whatever it happens to everybody. Yeah. Uh, but for that reason, uh, I really remember that meal, <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily a, a, a positive uh, uh, memory. But you know. <laughs> That's funny. So, 
so you start you started this channel when huh i mean i think the first videos well, i just put them up because yeah i think the first videos yeah. 13 yeah and the yeah. first videos i just put them up you know just because whatever there wasn't a real intention of you know making a channel it was just i'll put this here and if somebody watches it okay or i'll put it i'll put this here so, so i can post the link on my on my website or something so yeah um what, what 2013 you said so 20, yeah, yeah. Oh, eight nine years ago and the first video and that the, that shows i don't know if you like remove videos but the first video it's showing me on my end is a presentation on food design in Buenos Aires in October of 2013. <laughs> <laughs> <What? You're> so <laughs> old. <laughs> I don't even know what that could be, even be. <laughs> you haven't watched That's it the since? first video they showed. Sorry? You haven't watched it since? No, I don't think so, no. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because, I mean... I mean, since we are talking about YouTube, I guess, and you probably talk about it with your with your other guests as well. But YouTube is quite a, an interesting uh, space where one can choose to share its his or her own uh, creativity. Uh, it's something you can't really have control on, and something whose moves you can't really anticipate. So what? algorithm made it that that was the first video that showed in in your home page it's beyond me i don't i mean there are videos with more views that are also more interesting and definitely more recent that i would advise people to watch oh, yeah. and that's what youtube shows you <laughs> well I, and i'll link to some of the ones that i i've been watching that i think might be interesting to my my viewers or my listeners depending on whether you're viewing or listening um but um yeah, the, the the whole YouTube thing is super. I'm I'm very much interested in why people choose it and how they use it, and because mm. um, I I've been on that platform since the the year they were founded, mm. off and on. Huh. I've had several mm -hmm. accounts over the years, and um, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where like I always disliked my older content almost instantly. Because I, I develop so fast as a creative. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Um, I, I, I like, though, that you keep it up there. Because that, that, I always quickly yeah. remove stuff. <laughs> yeah, I should probably remove it, too. I mean, there are things that I, that I watch from a few years back, and I think I'm just obnoxious. I would never watch them. <laughs> yeah, just like don't that. watch them. Because if you remove them then you lose your view exactly hours. exactly so exactly <laughs> exactly uh, it's, it's also interesting i think uh in the, in the beginning i was earning from youtube right i was earning probably like 1.7 dollars a month or something like that but then uh, a couple of years ago just when my youtube channel was showing signs of possibly going better and better they change the change the rules the parameters to get paid and so now i have to have i don't know how many thousand of views and basically i don't i don't i'm not into the, i'm not in the uh bunch of people that get paid so i i got in i got sucked into the hope that youtube gives yeah kind of could, took me a few years two or three years to realize that it was not for me 
I, that I couldn't do it because YouTube is not my priority in my job. I can't do YouTube uh, all day. I have other things to pay, you know, food and shelter, those things that we said before, <laughs> to pay for my basic needs. Um, and then I just, you know, I just uh, realized that I keep it there because if somebody Googles something, they maybe find the content, uh, etc. But yeah. um, I wouldn't advise. Oh, there she is, a cat! <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. the most beautiful thing. I have eight. eight oh cats. my goodness! Yeah. Are they all camera shy? What are they? Um, there's in this one bedroom. <laughs> I have like three, four black and white ones. I have calico i have i have a whole bunch yeah because they were and, oh. and five of them were born here so he's one oh. of the ones that was born here but i rescued them <laughs> off the street and oh well done yeah, yeah. good on you mm -hmm. anyway so yeah i wouldn't advise on uh, to anybody to start a youtube channel today with the intention of doing anything beyond having a repository for your videos basically. i would agree with that because that, yeah yeah i think that today it's there's no there's no room for new youtubers unless you're not really a youtuber but you are a company with a marketing budget that is huge and then you'll make it for sure yeah you know that it's interesting that happened to me um i was a partner as well and then when they made they, they mm. brought up the requirements before I had a chance to get up there. And mm. the timing was about the same, I think. That's interesting. Mm. But yeah, mm. I mean, if you're, I think though with anybody, if your intention is to be a professional YouTuber, have a backup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Mm. Yeah, at least for 10 years, I have a backup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. So, well, yeah, I mean, and, and I, we were only talking about it because that's how I found you initially, but. That's not your main thing. That's great. Um, I, I love this idea of, of design thinking with food. I want to think more about like how to what, what's a food that's memorable for me and why why is it? And I want my listeners to think about that too because I think that food is one of the most underappreciated, underthought about things, at least on this side of the pond. Um, and I can also see how putting thought into this can go into health oh definitely i mean straight up and that's something that definitely. that needs to be dealt with around here too is because we have a lot of unhealthy diets in, in the states absolutely i mean you see something like food is one of the less thought about things is a sentence that i would have never said <laughs> because from the way i view the world Food is the thing we think about the most every day, all day. Uh, you know, because I'm into the topic food all the time, of course. Uh, right. But again, not from a... We, we, this is interesting because people... It's difficult for people to understand. I'm not a chef. I'm not a uh, gastron... I don't come from gastronomy. Um, but I, I come from design theory and still I think about food all the time. <laughs> but think about the fact that you think about food at least three times a day. At least three times a day, you make, you make food choices. At least three times a day, you have a choice on the 
on the um, on whether you want food to help you with your health or on whether you are okay with food uh, being detrimental to your health yeah. and so that is also for example just to connect so we talk with with that food is very much connected to health and not not just now food has been considered uh, medicine even for centuries and food is still today uh, proposed as a medicine by some people uh, food can cure but food food can is a substance it can you know uh, ha- allow you to have a productive day and a long and healthy life etc uh, and i lost my train of thought no, that's all right. Um, no, and it's it's for me. It's like one of those things where like I I literally only think about food when I'm hungry. Oh wait, food exists. I should go have some. And then I have to fight the urge to find the quickest, easiest solution to fulfill that. I yeah, see, Ch- cheap like, and convenient. Yeah. Cheap and convenient. Um, I have to I, I have to remind myself to go out of my way to find better food than what would probably be easily available yeah so you see this is what i wanted to say before uh, before i lost my train and it it answers exactly to what you were saying this is the designer's responsibility as designers as food designers in this case as people who propose proposition in the world of food we know what type of food is healthier and what type of food is less healthy what uh, type of food can be um, can give you energy uh, and everything you need in a specific moment of the day. And if you don't know this, go and, go and find out the information. Don't design food if you don't have this information, right? <laughs> so we know what is beneficial for you. So we have the responsibility of choosing which food to propose to you. So even though we know, everybody knows that a diet filled with, let's say, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, any type, any item in the menu every day, every day is not good. Why are we still designing it? Because we are putting a responsibility on the consumer. Yeah. Oh, they are going to choose to get it only once a month or once a week or whatever. And we can choose for them. So we are putting the responsibility into, into the consumer instead of on ourselves. And I think this is not ethically good because most people today are busy with finding the resources for their food and shelter and kids and taking the car to the mechanic and uh, getting you know kids to the swimming pool and uh, and getting cleaning the house and then you know going to work and your boss and the things people are busy with work stuff if we of course when it comes to food many times is not if not always we are going to go for cheap and and healthy but if most of the cheap and healthy options were also healthy options, nobody would say, hey, this is disgusting. Where is my, you know, whatever junk food that I want to have every day? And also I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, um, what's the word? Um, I'm a big promoter of pizza. And I think that uh, food is also a pleasure and we are also designing food for pleasure as you know Kentucky fried chicken once in a while uh, or only fries if you are vegetarian uh, or vegan but you know 
the responsibility is really on the designer, on the things, and, and, and actually on businesses. Because designers design, yes, and then businesses put out there. And to, for me, the responsibility is the same, the designers and the business. You know, there's many people who say, many designers who say, well, but I work for a company. They give me a brief. I have to deliver. Do you? You're a person. You are capable of making choices. Nobody's forcing you. So it then depends on how much, how, how, um, how much you're struggling with that same, you know, food and shelter primary need, yeah. and how much you have the opportunity to say, "Hey, boss, I really don't want to design this. With I think we should design something different for that and that reason." Well, but that anyway, would, so yeah, that 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 alludes to like a whole other big societal issue is people kind of designing what the bean counters and the and the managers think are think would yield a higher profit versus what what they know in their hearts of hearts yeah. would be better for yeah. everyone. And yeah. there's so and much the same... talent that's, ca sorry, there's so much talent that's capable of creating Definitely. better stuff that just oh doesn't God. because yes. they're under the thumb yes. of management. Yeah. Look at all startups, amazing stuff. These, let's say kids, usually they're younger people, <laughs> come up with amazing products or services that are beautiful in the whole three points of sustainability, economic sustainability, because if you start a business, it has to make profit, was the point otherwise, but at the same time, uh, economic and social sustainability too. So that if, well, it's what we were saying before, most companies, most businesses think about economic sustainability only, unfortunately, profit and economic growth. It's the role of designers if they don't think about it themselves to say, hey, why don't we design something that besides making you money, it's also going to be good for people and good for the environment. So I really think that is a, I really think it's important to point your attention on the designer's responsibility, on the, on the responsibility of any creative a person whether they use a design process or not artists as well what they do all day is to send messages and so oh, yeah. it's just that maybe they have less constraint than somebody than a designer working for a company for example um, but for sure there is a responsibility because every design choice we make results in a product in a proposition that gives messages and therefore that educates people toward one path or another and it is very much possible, and we see it everywhere today, as you were mentioning, that uh, to design stuff that is, that is economically sustainable, uh, environmentally sustainable, and socially sustainable, so good for people. Perfect. That's the perfect way to put it. And, you know, I didn't... I mean, I've always thought about this stuff, right? Every facet, but it, it never occurred to me that it would be somebody who specializes in this stuff. And I, I am, I'm thinking about your organization that you founded. What, what was the name of it one more time? Your organization? It was called International Food Design Society, but it's not operating anymore, uh, not operating. actually. Uh, I kind of closed it a few years ago. 
there's similar uh, organization for example food design nation it's called they launched the this organization i think in october last year and mm. i am one of the i don't know how to define myself i'm i'm in the group of people who think about things and help out let's say and so there's many well there's a few groups of people that uh, are there to create community around food design food design how how would someone want be involved with that if somebody is listening and wanted to kind of check in with you guys yeah i mean with food design nation it's quite easy you go to the website and there are a few events uh, proposed monthly more or less there are round tables that are open there are uh, safaris and which are another type of event that i'm not completely familiar with and then there's another one what is it called i always forget ah they're gonna kill me for this uh no they're not but there's another type of event that i don't remember what it's called but you find it on the website where basically they whatever group of people is present uh, that evening and i think it happens monthly they're going to pair you up for five ten minutes and then it's like a speed dating but for food design and people exchange what they're good at and what they would like to uh, do and so working collaboration can be fostered etc um and uh, so yeah and that's what was happening with them now maybe one thing that i want to mention for people who are interested in learning about food design and checking it out or maybe they say hey this is what i wanted to do all my life which has happened to me many times yes i want to put together my passion for food and you know um to check out the online school of food design i don't know if you have uh, seen uh, from my website but i launched the online school of food design in 2016 i think and that was my a platform where i would propose my courses on food design I don't know if you can hear that. I can hear you. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah. just wait. I was I... just waiting for the motorbike to pass. And so, um, <laughs> and uh, in spring this year, 2021, just uh, uh, following this wave that I've, that I have actually felt uh, all all around me and inside many other people with whom I got in touch this wave of openness and creativeness and doing and collaborating etc i opened the doors of the online food school of food design and now basically besides instead of being just me giving my courses we are i'm collaborating with jashan and nicole from food design nation and together uh, with them we are now creating a school that has many different authors and many different uh, courses on different on all the with topics from the different corners of food design and different learning modalities etc so that's maybe something else that people want to uh check out and see if they're yeah interested. yeah if you send me send me all the urls for this stuff i'll put them in the descriptions yes. that's perfect. perfect thank you um because i'm ho i'm hoping that they'll reach out to you because I, I i do think that this is an important topic that um if we can just mine the right people out of society to join you and all this world will be a better place. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks. And I'll see you on the next episode.